We've all had this experience, maybe not in the past eight months, but we've all had this experience. You go to check in for a flight and you see five people in the security line around you, usually, but not always women, holding animals, often small dogs, again, not always, that have little vests on them or a little patch on the container saying emotional support animal. And you and I might be thinking to ourselves, I'm sure you can get through a two-hour flight without your emotional support animal. Remember, this is not a service animal. This is not a highly trained, registered animal working with maybe a military veteran with PTSD. And this stuff got wildly out of control. And there's been some update on trying to get it under control. So joining us to talk about that, and we're going to talk about a couple other things as well, iHeart Aviation analyst Jay Ratliff. You know him from lots of things. And by the way, his website is jratliff.com if you want to get in touch. Jay, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. And before you tell us what the new rules are, just give us a sense of how nuts this got. Well, it, it got really nuts. I mean, people would see years ago passengers showing up with those service dogs, the service animals that were the highly trained uh, animals that were used with people that had uh, vision impairment, hearing impairment, whatever it might happen to be. And the thought was these animals would fly for free. They would sit as they are trained to do or lay in between the, the feet of the passenger, and they flew for free. So a lot of people said, well, I want to take my animal for free. And they recognized that if it, their animal was classified as an emotional support animal, hey, this is a medical condition. You can't take away something from me for medical reasons. Therefore, I'm going to slap one of those vests you talked about onto my dog, cat, peacock, pig, hamster, miniature support horse, ferret, hedgehog, <laughs> whatever it might happen to be. And I'm going to show up at the airport, and the airline is going to be forced to accept me, accept my emotional support animal and not charge me the typical mm-hmm. $125 to $150 each way fare that would normally be required if you were going to transport an animal inside the cabin of an aircraft. Wow. It was just crazy. And some of the stories got really nuts. There was a story about a miniature horse, serv- uh, emotional support miniature horse and an emotional support peacock. And I don't know if those animals actually got on a plane. I think the peacock <laughs> might have at least. I mean, but... Yeah, I, yeah. You know, and I will say, Jay, before you just tell us what the new rules are, I think in a certain way you got to point the finger here at airlines a little bit. I, I get that that airlines and passengers and and the cabin crew don't necessarily want a bunch of animals on a plane, but there weren't really lots of animals on planes before. And then the airlines started charging these insane fees. How much does it cost to have a little puppy in a little puppy carrying bag sitting at your feet, bothering nobody and taking up nobody's space but yours when you go on a flight? Well, it, would, it used to be 125 150 up to $175 each way. Right. Well, you so, say used to be, right? Before that used to be, it was like little or nothing. I, I did it. I remember. Absolutely. You know? But the problem was everybody was bringing their animals, so the airline said, look, we have to limit the number of animals in the cabin of an aircraft. Mm-hmm. We have to do it for a lot of reasons. We have to do it for customer 
comfort as one, but two, we also have to do it from a safety standpoint. Remember that every commercial airliner in the world, the aircraft is built with the ability to evacuate everyone off that aircraft in 90 seconds or less with half the exits blocked. When you have a large number of animals, I can tell you that the the departure of passengers during an emergency situation as they evacuate that aircraft is going to be severely slowed if you have miniature horses and all the other things yeah. that we've talked about as emotional support animals. And, and that was my biggest bone of contention with the Department of Transportation, who really the ball stopped with them. You can blame the airlines, certainly, but the, the airlines were looking for the federal government to please issue some sort of common sense guidelines that we as the airlines can can use as we go about our day-to-day business. The problem was the DOT did not, so each airline was required to basically create and then enforce their own policy on animal acceptance. And it got to the point where some of these animals would bite passengers, they would bite crew members, mm-hmm. they would leave messes on the floor or the seat where the aroma would be in that aircraft for the rest of the day. And it became a, a serious situation. So hmm, finally, the DOT last summer, 2019, came out with kind of some watered-down guidelines where some of the exotic animals were no longer allowed. But within that, they said you could actually bring up to three emotional support animals per person. Per person, yeah. <laughs> per person. So we go from that to now where the DOT has finally come out and said, look, folks, from this point forward, service animals are going to remain dogs and dogs only. Mm-hmm. Other, pas- other pets are going to be treated animals as pets, where they will be allowed in the cabin only if they fit underneath the seat in front of you in an approved container, and you'll be charged by the airlines. And yes, there there will normally be a limit of how many of those animals will be allowed inside the aircraft. So we've gone from that. And a lot of people went to social media with all these tweets and, and postings about how they put one over on the airlines, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I, sh- I gave it to them. And as they were doing it, the situation got worse and worse. And you even had news teams showing up to say, see just how exotic I could get away with some of these pets where I'd be allowed on an airplane. And all of this did was really diminish the need for the, the people that need these emotional support animals to travel because of experiences they've been through or things that really make it difficult. And as a result, it is... It's a shame that all of those people really ruined it for the ones that had a legitimate need but did not. Now, some people obviously were trying to save the 150 200 bucks, whatever uh, that they were going to be charged. Right. But some people said to me, Jay, the reason I, I don't want my dog or cat placed in the cargo compartment underneath is because sometimes the stress of that causes the animals to die. Mm-hmm. And that's true. So from a safety standpoint, people said, Jay, I could care less about the money. I want my animal uh, traveling with me. It's a larger dog that before, you know, obviously he's not going to fit underneath the seat in front of me in a container, but now they're able to fly with me. Uh, my wife and I were in Atlanta uh, a short while ago when I looked up and there's this lady walking down the concourse with not one but two large animals. I don't know if they were both for her or not, but you're right. It became commonplace to look around and see animals everywhere. And finally, the Department of Transportation has stepped in and, and issued some, some guidelines that say, they said, this is what we're considering. We'll, we'll roll these out in the next, uh, after 30 to 45 days or so, sometime into next year, where the airlines will have a very clear and concise set of rules and guidelines to go by. And it also means if you and I have a service animal, uh, we have to provide proper documentation up to 48 hours before our departure. 
to make sure that our service animal is, in fact, a service animal uh, before we're allowed to fly. That's an interesting thing because, as I understand it, the basic law regarding service animals typically uh, drastically limits the amount that somebody can question. Is that a service animal? Show me his certification. A lot of those kinds of questions are illegal. So mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting to see how they thread that needle here. Are you aware of this part of the, you know, the process, the conversation? Yeah, what's going to happen is there's certain documentation that they're allowed to request um, as proof, if you will, that, in fact, that is a, a, a officially trained service animal. And there's, there's standard documentation that, it, that all of these individuals have that they're able to provide, and they're glad to provide it uh, without a problem at all. Now, if somebody that has an emergency needs to travel at the last minute with a service animal, they're still allowed to do so. But instead of, since you don't have that 48-hour advance notice, you need to get to the airport extra early, go through some of the extra checks that are going to be required on the day of departure so that you'll be able to travel. But, but my big bone of contention uh, to the Department of Transportation and the Federal Aviation Administration over the last uh, two years, and I was very vocal about it, is that uh, you're creating a safety issue. And right now we have people that don't get off an airplane fast enough because, A, they're collecting their overhead storage com- bags out of the overhead compartments, mm-hmm. which is stupid. Planes on fire. Get your butt off the aircraft. Forget about your bags and, and endangering everybody behind you. But the other thing was this. This, this increasing number of animals that in an emergency situation, a smoke-filled cabin, people screaming, they're going to freak. And as a result, it's going to really slow down that evacuation mm. process. So to me, it, it had to have some changes quickly to be, to be completed. Otherwise, we were actually putting lives at risk. And look, I'm, a, I'm not a huge fan of the Federal Aviation Administration or the Department of Transportation in many regards, but I really applaud the efforts here, because I think it's going to make uh, flying safer for all of us. My special guest, of course, is Jay Ratliff, uh, iHeart Aviation Analyst, and his website, jratliff.com, where folks can actually contact him directly through the website. So you, you probably said this already, but just to hone in on it for a moment here, what are the key aspects of the new guidance that listeners need to know about? Well, I mean, if you have a service animal that's a trained service animal, it's business as usual. You'll still be able to fly. The animals, which is a dog, will, will not be charged anything as far as to be able to fly with you. Anything else that might be considered a, an emotional sport animal or a pet that you want to take with you has to fit in a container underneath the seat in front of you, and you will be charged, and there will be a limit imposed on how many on a given aircraft, and it's going to vary from airline to airline, so you just contact the airline to see what their specific rules are and go from there. The idea that you were going to be able to fly with not one or two or three of your pets, uh, claiming them as emotional support animals and not being required to pay for those, those days are going to be gone. And uh, it's a more consistent set of rules that we have in place that we've not had before, and that's what's needed. The airlines right now are very bothered by the fact that the Federal Aviation Administration and the DOT haven't come forth with mask guidelines for mm. them to implement. So it's the same process here where they're forced to create and then enforce, at least now as on the emotional support animal, which before this coronavirus craze was the topic next to the Boeing Max mm-hmm. uh, that was just driving people crazy. Uh, this one has been addressed and I think resolved 
And I'm very, very pleased with what's happened because we needed those guidelines to prevent people from taking advantage of a situation and thereby placing other people's lives at risk in an emergency situation. All right. So let's switch topics. You mentioned the 737 MAX. It appears that that has gotten reapproved. American Airlines, at least, American Airlines seems to be reintegrating that into the fleet after there were a couple of crashes of 737 MAXs that were attributed either to some combination of faulty software or bad training. I don't know exactly what. What's the status of the MAX right now? And if and when, I'll say when, not if, people get back to traveling and they find that they're going to fly on a MAX, should they think twice about it? Or is it just as safe as anything else now? It is uh, It's much safer than it was. I would have no trouble at all getting on an aircraft today and bringing my family on board it. Um, a lot of the issues they had before, uh, which, again, stem from those two horrific crashes that you talked about, uh, 346 lives in those two crashes. The aircraft was grounded for 20 months. At the time it was initially grounded, Boeing came out with all this garbage. Mm-hmm. About, hey, it's a software fix, blah, 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 like it was going to be a quick fix, which obviously turned out not to be the case. Right. The longer we went, the more that we learned how bad it was and how much it had to be corrected. But uh, after this 20 months, we've had the United States and Brazil, the two first uh, countries, to certify the aircraft, saying it is now safe to fly both from the condition of the aircraft and the training that's going to be required of the pilots. As a result, American Airlines, United, and Southwest, the three carriers right now that have the Boeing MAX in their fleet, once the pilots are trained, they can put that aircraft back into their rotation from the fleet. Uh, American Airlines is planning on doing so December 29th on a flight from Miami to New York, and other air carriers are going to be doing the exact same thing as we go along. Now, if you show up at the gate and you find out that you are on a Boeing MAX aircraft and you prefer not to, just approach the gate agent and say, look, uh, this probably is a super safe aircraft to fly, but I'm not comfortable. The airline agent will say, fine, uh, let me get the flight out of the way. I'll put you on another flight that's not a Boeing MAX. We'll get you to your destination without any problem at all on our next available flight. Mm. So it, it's... You can always look in advance when you're making a reservation to see if you're on a Boeing Max. But keep in mind, as you travel and I travel, many times we'll get to the gate and they do an aircraft swap. Mm -hmm. That's the term that we use if the airplane that you were supposed to be on had a mechanical problem or is late in arriving. And instead of your flight being late or delayed, they say, we've got this other aircraft. We'll just use it since it's here. Sometimes that new aircraft could be a Boeing Max when you didn't think it was going to be. Mm -hmm. So kind of go from there. But again, recognize that of those three carriers, it represents less than 3% of their fleet when everything is flying. So as a result, you're probably not going to see a Boeing Max. And there's been people that have told me, Jay, there's no way I'm getting on one. And in my mind, I'm saying to them, you'll eventually fly it because Uh, eventually this aircraft is going to be proven to be extremely safe. It's very fuel efficient, larger overhead storage compartments. There's a lot of customer-friendly aspects to the aircraft. And just like the Dreamliner that was grounded for a period of time and other airplanes in the past, Mm -hmm. including the Boeing 727, which had some horrific issues when it first came out and people swore they would never fly it, eventually they'll return, they'll get on it, they'll find out that it's okay. And uh, look, with the pilot training and the pilot um, input, on the Boeing Max, as we, we went through this process over 20 months, it is a much better aircraft and a far safer aircraft with all the modifications that they've done. And uh, I could spend 30 minutes talking about all the changes to the Max that have occurred, and they're all needed and uh, certainly make the aircraft a safe one to fly.
Excellent. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, eventually, like you say, especially in Southwest, which only flies 737s, there's going to yeah. be a, a, a lot of the Max. I, I'm old enough, and I presume you're old enough, that um, <laughs> I, I, I flew on a 707, um, not, not just a 727, which I also flew on. I, I remember mm-hmm. when, to me, the 737 was the new plane. It was, yeah, back in the in the late '60s, and look at '57. I, I can certainly remember uh, those aircraft as well. The 707 with the four engines, and of course they came out with the 737, which had the three engines, and it was kind of the upgrade. And then, oh my gosh, here comes a dual engine aircraft where you only have to pay for fuel for two engines, not three or four, which airlines obviously love that. Hey, Southwest would like to buy 200-plus of the Boeing MAX aircraft. Yeah, They're going after more and more of these airplanes because of the fact that it is a fuel-efficient aircraft. And, uh, yeah, Southwest keeps everything as, as a Boeing 737 because it saves them money on training, saves them money on maintenance. They pass those savings on to us as customers, and, gosh, you can't complain over that. Right. Okay. My last question for you, Jay. I'm up against a break, but I want to do this quickly. Mm-hmm. You you sent out in in your email blast uh, some conversation about how Thanksgiving air travel w- was uh, disappointing in terms of being less than a lot of people had thought or hoped it would be. Can you just tell us about that briefly? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we we had a situation where. We had uh, you know, the busiest days of the of the year to travel, or the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the Thursday after. Last year, we had, I think, 5.6 million people fly on those two days. Uh, this year, we had, I think, uh, 2.2 million. So the numbers were up a bit o- over the last few weeks, but a far cry from where they were at before. So Thanksgiving travel, as much as we thought it was going to be a busy time, was still 61% less than what it was last year. Airlines are really struggling, wondering if the, the last half of December is going to give them a nice boost of revenue. Right now, though, we're not seeing that, uh, and airlines are wondering just how quickly people are going to return to the skies. A lot of it has to do, obviously, with the coronavirus. Some businesses are just saying we don't need to travel as much. We're doing everything using the video conferencing, and that works out just fine. And I have a feeling that will be a persistent trend. I, I, you know, business people still will, some business people will still like to travel from time to time. And, and need to. And Absolutely. need to. And, and, of course, some, you know, industries love doing conventions and big meetings and places, and, you know, that stuff is fun. But I bet you just sort of ordinary, I'm going to go to a place and meet a guy and sign a contract. I bet you that stuff is cut 50% forever. Well, and the percentage is the question. Because a lot of businesses that were very slow to embrace technology, it said we have to use this Zoom video comp, whatever. And they're finding out, hey, this works. It's cheap. It's effective. Yeah. Yeah. But many businesses I've talked to said, Jay, we're not going to go back anywhere near to the travel we had before. And airlines make 70% of their revenue from the business traveler. Wow. So if that's cut back, it may be a while before the airline industry recovers. And that's something that uh, is a further worry for those that are running the airlines right now. Yeah, I know that the plural of anecdote is not data. But when it comes to the ability to work from home, for example, which is different from you know using Zoom for a meeting, but still, I personally went from a position where I was told, Ross, you can't do your show from home to where uh, during COVID, Ross, you have to do your show from home. And going forward, even when we're out of COVID, I think they'll be a lot more flexible. If I've got a reason, there's a snowstorm where it's not safe to get to the radio station. They'll let me do it from home. They never would have before. It's just 
things are changing and, and a lot of these things are never going to change back. A lot of these things are changed forever. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. Jay Ratliff, iHeart Aviation Analyst. His website, jratliff.com. That's J-A-Y-R-A-T-L-I-F-F.com. If you want to get in touch with Jay through the site, please do. He loves to be in touch with folks and answer your questions. Thanks for being here, Jay. Believe me, always my pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Okay.